Well, folks, welcome to one more edition of Politics and Random. Egberto Willis, your host. Thank you so kindly for being part of the show. We are going to have a marvelous show for you today, my dear beautiful people. How is everybody? AVQ says, it is snowing. It is snowing in Nueva York, in New York as well. So I guess it's snowing in both lower New York as in Brooklyn, New York, as well as upstate New York in the Cascades and elsewhere. Well, guys, I hope you enjoy it. We are having nice weather here in Houston, sunny and mild. Bridge MCP is in the house. AVQ is in the house. E2247 is in the house. He says, Willow Project is a climate bomb equal 26 million metric tons of carbon pollution in 30 years. This is Biden's total climate and environmental justice promises betrayal. Yes, it is. Uh, who else is in the house? Uh, Bridge, uh, how you doing, Bridge? I have Alistair Waters, the first one on the top. How you doing, beautiful? Great hearing from you una vez más. And we have apparently from our mischievous Bridge <clears throat> a trigger amaga. Bruce dice que está en casa. Bruce says he, he is in the house. Hello, my brother Bruce. Saw your email. I haven't read, read the points yet, but in, in one interesting thing is that I have some videos where Elizabeth Warren points them out quite nicely. Uh, Tom C. says, snow is starting to melt. Spring is on the way. I hope you enjoy your melting ice, as though it means the Mississippi is going to blow up, but hey. We're used to that around this time every year or a little bit later, I guess. But it's getting warmer earlier than normal. Uh, okay, Bridge has this thing on the screen. It's not my fault. It's Bridge's fault. She told me to put it there. And it says, trigger a MAGA. And she shows some M&Ms with W's on it. And what she's trying to say is that these guys are so possessed that when they just see you reverse the M and turn it around, it looks like a W, and you can fool and tell them anything. Hey, it's a conspiracy. Eminem is a woke company, and that's why their M&Ms have a lot of W's on it. Right, Bridge MCP? Am I, am I stating that right, Bridge? All right, let's see what else we got here. What's, what else we got here? We must, be, we must be phasing out fossil fuels, not letting big oil and big finance industrial complex extract even more, many millions of metric tons of them. And you know what, E2247? For that to happen, we have to do our jobs. It's not going to be top-down because top-down gives us uh, Silicon Valley Bank. Top-down give us uh, the president having to cave to... Uh, to these guys on the northern flank because they're going to say, if we don't do that, uh, uh, Europe is going to not going to be able to be supplied with the energy they need since we're boycotting from Russia. It's all an interconnected mess. I get it. I get it. Mr. Do just discovered this channel. Share it, Mr. Do. Tell your people to come on and visit us Every day at 3 p.m. Central Standard Time. 3 p.m. Central Standard Time. So thank you for being here, Mr. Do. Michael Rodden says, M&M's, Hershey's, 
fake conservative outrage campaigns because they can't talk about economic populism for some reason. They don't believe in it. That's why. 227 says, express outrage over the decision and make a difference even if leaders don't want you to listen. Be involved. White House phone number 202-456-1110. Open Tuesday through Thursdays, 11 a.m. till 3 p.m. Melanie Keelan says, llegando tarde y pronto. Which says, I'm coming late, but quickly. Paul Fleming says, I can't hear you. Paul, everybody else is hearing me. Please check your connections because I'm pretty sure I am transmitting as I can see here. And since Bridge hasn't sent me a text yet, since Rudnan hasn't sent me a text yet, since Bruce hasn't sent me a text yet, I'm pretty sure they can hear me. So please check it and then give us a let us know when when I can hear you. All right, let's see what else we got here. Maps, don't lie. Politicians, um, do check it out where there is some BS. Okay. Uh, what kind of... No, that's a, that's a video again. Uh, all right, let's see what else we got. Eric A says, clean your ears out. Eric, 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 we just have to adjust his volume or something. Eric, that's our brother. All right, Michael Rodden says, Egberto, in 2016, Trump ran partially on a fall economic populism campaign then delivered none of it. it i mean trump is a bag of lies okay uh but i'll figure it out thank you my brother uh para ver para ver para ver para ver para ver para ver egberto yep i've not posted much in the way of starting intro commentary been slacking off why are you slacking off our resident historian our resident calculator why are you slipping up sir nah you know we love you man Everybody should have a break. You know, you do that out of the kindness of your heart and the will to inform. That's great. Eric Hayes says, it is a waxing, I mean, taxing problem in Washington. I don't think so. But Tom C. then says, I think my bank is woke. The teller handed me money with his left hand. Oh, my God, Tom. Your bank is woke. Your bank is woke, Tom. Your bank is woke. Facebook audio is good. Video is as good as video of you can be. You're scaring me when you say video is as good as video of me can be. Does that mean it hasn't been living up to par? Well, you guys, if you don't like my camera, you know how to send me a camera if you want a camera of a different caliber. All right. Carl Cox says, mega banks are crooked. Play big bribes to politicians to get their way. Standard operating procedures, sir. I'm fine. Got over the car accident. Got over COVID. Mom's not fully over COVID yet, though. But mom's going to be all right. She passed the test. Mom is going to be more than all right because mom is going to be fully well inoculated from the big thing. Getting driveway plowed three times, third time goes to 14 inches and not stopping. I feel for you, Bridge, but you know what? Let's go ahead and get busy. The first video, we're going to start on the banking fiasco again. And we are going to start with, uh, let's go ahead and start with Elizabeth Warren because she divides what occurred in three parts. So let's check that out. We'll take it on the other side. Elizabeth Warren has been warning about this happening for quite some time. Both she and Katie Porter has been preaching, 
We can't have these types of lax regulations because the same thing that happened in 2008 will happen again. In this case, it's not like 2008, but it could have turned into a 2008, depending on how much malfeasance you had throughout the system. Anyhow, uh, she breaks it down into three parts. I think it has to do with government, regulators, and greedy executives. Check this out, then we'll take it on the other side. The way to understand this crisis is it's really got kind of three players in it. The first is Congress and President Trump, who said, let's weaken the regulation, which you've hit really hard. The second part is the regulators themselves, in particular, the Fed, in particular, Jerome Powell, the chairman of the Federal Reserve Bank, who took that change in the laws and boy, did he run with it. In fact, he ran further than a lot of people even thought the law let him in tailoring the oversight of those banks in order to make it as weak as possible. And by the way, just a little side note, I very much opposed his being renominated to the Federal Reserve Bank. And the reason was exactly this, what he had done on using the uh, opportunities he had by the change in the law in 2018 to weaken bank regulations. In my view, he was just headed in the wrong direction, and that's what made him dangerous in the position of chair of the Fed. But then there's part three, and that is those executives, those bank CEOs who lobbied hard to get this change in the law. Those are the ones who, when the window opened, wow, were they ready to go. And they went out and they decided to load up on risk. And why? They loaded up on risk because it made their banks more profitable. And that meant it made them have higher salaries. They got to, to rule over bigger banks. They got big bonuses. They brought in their friends. And they did all that by taking on more risk. And it worked. SVB increased its profitability of the last three years by 40%. They took on all that risk, made themselves more profitable right up to the day that the bank exploded. And that's, that's the whole story. Part one, the, the Congress, part two, the regulators, and part three, the executives who took advantage of this. And there you go. Parts one, parts two, parts three. And it's that simple. It is that corrupt. And that is what needs to be solved. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it. In. All right. I take the bait. I want to take the bait. I want to take the bait. So, Bridge, hang with me here, Bridge. This is to Eric Hayes, because to show you the 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 uh, the willful bubble of ignorance that my brother is living into. Here, here we have several years ago, and I didn't play that part of the tape because that was just too much. But earlier on, they played all the tapes of Elizabeth Warren stating that this would occur. If you remove these supposed community banks uh, at that level, between $50 billion and $200 billion plus dollars, from stress testing, then that they put all their assets in a particular dangerous scheme wouldn't show up. Had Silicon Valley Bank been stress tested, 
all of their assets would not, or a large portion of their assets would not have been placed into mortgage-backed securities. So that's number one. She spoke about that. Now, they didn't follow it. They still went and passed the bill. All the Republicans and a few Democrats allowed the bill to go through that prevent Silicon Valley Bank from being stress tested. So there you go. She warned against it and they didn't follow her lead and the bank failed. That's number one. Number two, you speak about Powell showing her up. Anyone who wants to see the video, which I also did of her, points out something completely different. She asked Powell, you claim that unemployment needs to raise about a 1% to bring down inflation. How many jobs will be lost to bring down inflation by bringing up unemployment by 1%? Powell said, mm, I don't know. I, I don't know. She said, you should know. It's in your report. Your report claims that 2 million people will lose their jobs if the unemployment rates goes up by 1%. Oh, well, you know, it's going to be everybody on inflation. Then she looks at him and she said, and by the way, please tell me in the history of this country, when has unemployment gone up one point in one year and it not proceed to go further up? Powell uh, mumbles for a while and he said, it has never happened. It wasn't Powell cleaning Elizabeth Warren's clock. It was Elizabeth Warren showing that Mr. Powell and all those of his ilk care nothing about humanity, cares nothing about the individual. They claim to be caring about families and people, but they care nothing. So Mr. Hayes, Mr. Eric Hayes, if after I've just articulated these two things that you can verifiably see on C-SPAN and you still hold to what you're saying, it proves that there's some chain in your mind that continues. And all I can do is tell you the truth. You can choose to put your, hat, your head in, a, in the sand. You can choose to be willfully ignorant. You can choose to hurt your own family because that's what you're doing. You have that choice and it's that choice to make. Is it going to be ideology over reality or not? Your choice. Your choice to determine whether you want to be intelligent. Your choice to, to dis discern whether you are intelligent or not. But here you go. We bring right back to what Sister Bridge talks about. A trigger moment where an M becomes a W. All right. So that, that's that. You know, let me tell you, Bridge, I know you get a sort of when, when I try to explain this when somebody trolls a message, but I needed to because this message goes to you know, yesterday somebody said, you don't have a lot of people listening, so who cares on, on live? I said, like, please remember, in the last week I had 260-something thousand viewers of, of, of the stuff, okay? It just doesn't happen in real time. So thank you so kindly. Um, 
Now let's 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 continue. Um, Carl Cox says Porter for vice president, Sanders for majority leader in the U.S. Senate. I could live with that. Um, Egberto, your leader has it taken care of. I don't know what that means. Michael Rudnan says, Eric Hayes, I'm talking about the right wing bubble ticking you off and you change the topic to local politics. Fine. I know nothing about your district politics. Now go search. Tucker, cousin, Evan Terrorist. You might learn something and know and how you're being lied to while those doing the line are laughing. And it's funny because they do laugh at them. The, 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 the right wing elite laugh at them because, you know, when they make a mistake, oh, we got to keep lying to them. They will only accept the lies. They will only accept the lies. Folks, uh, you choose your way. Anyway, let's see. Eric says, Paul issue I could care less about Biden could have fired him. He did not. I don't know what you're saying there. Anyhow, let's go to the second video. This is now my other darling, Katie Porter. We have some very smart women. And I, I, I honestly think from the vice president to Katie Porter to Elizabeth Warren, uh, we have such smart women, young women, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ilan Omar, uh, Ayanna Presley, uh, uh, Rashida Talib. We have such smart women, such smart women. Young, middle-aged, older. We are, we are blessed on the, on the democratic side, on, well, on the progressive side. We are blessed to have the level of intellect in women that we have. Because that intellect come with a particular level of nurturing. I need to make a, I'm going to make a t-shirt with all your pictures on. Our women. Centered by our vice president, surrounded by our senators, surrounded by our Congress people. Because it's such a wonderful thing. It is such a wonderful thing. Anyway, um, continuing, 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 continuing. I want to show you guys my dear, beautiful friend, Katie Porter, and her thoughts on what has occurred. Katie Porter is not mincing her words. She put blames on the collapse of the SVB where it belongs, Silicon Valley Bank where it belongs. And where does it belong? At the hands of Trump, who signed the bill, the, Repub the mass of the Republicans who pushed the bill, and several Democrats who supported them to give them the necessary amount of votes to get it passed. Elizabeth Warren's been speaking about this. She has been against it for a while. Let her tell you what it, what she has to say about it, and then we'll take it on the other side. Talk to me about the, the collapse here of SVB. Um, it ranks as the second largest bank failure in the U.S., right behind Washington Mutual back in 2008, uh, just ahead of Signature Bank, which also just happened a few days ago. What is going on here? Well, this comes from a failure to appropriately regulate big banks. And we had, after Dodd-Frank, appropriate regulations in place for exactly this size of bank, big. And lo and behold, no more than Dodd-Frank passed, then people started coming around to politicians' offices, offering them corporate pack checks and lobbying them to repeal those regulations. And we had Democrats and Republicans join in 2018 to repeal the very capital holding requirements that create a cushion for this exact size of bank. So for me,
mean to hear colleagues later when this was happening this weekend say this was unbelievable and how could this happen was frustrating to say the least. This is what happens when we have politicians who cater to Wall Street instead of working families. This morning, I'm sure you saw President Biden uh, addressing the country, assuring people their deposits are safe, that taxpayers are not on the hook for the banks. How confident are you of that assessment? Well, I have no doubt that that is what President Biden hopes happens, and that is the intent here. But I think we've seen before with these kinds of programs that the devil is really in the details. And there are some concerning aspects of how this is being rolled out. One of the things we did with the Dodd-Frank Act after um, the financial, the last financial crisis was we said, look, assets have to be marked to market. They have to be, you have to have value them at what they're actually worth. And what the Federal Reserve is doing with this lending program is saying, we'll treat your collateral at par value rather than what it's really worth today. So I, I, I understand that when you get into a bank failure, there are no good solutions. That's exactly why we can't let this keep happening. We have to you- repeal the regulation that Trump and Congress passed in 2018 to get us back to a place where we have cushions. We don't put ourselves where there are no good choices. So you, you began to answer the question I was just about to ask you, which is, do you think repealing the the 2018 deregulation law will be sufficient protection against this kind of thing going forward? Or is there something else that needs to be done on top of, uh, of repealing it? Well, there are definitely other questions here, but let me be clear. I'm introducing legislation to repeal that 2018 law. It was bad then. I said it was bad then, and I was not alone. There were other folks, including Elizabeth Warren, who pushed against this, but Wall Street's lobby in Washington is simply too powerful. And they were able to get not just Republicans, but I think almost 50 Democrats between the House and the Senate to sign on to this. So I I do think repealing the law is a good start, but I don't think it's enough. I think there are real questions about how we think about stopping runs on banks in a digital world. We sort of have analog banking law for a digital economy. And I I think we we saw that this sort of closed the bank on a Friday, reopen it on a Monday, which is sort of the very traditional model, simply doesn't work where people have online banking and they can they can work over the weekend and remove money um, and organize kind of continual withdrawals throughout the weekend. So I think the Federal Reserve and FDIC need to think about how we're going to modernize to deal with this sort of digital bank run, which is really what we have here today. Katie nails it. It's time for a change. It is time for us to go ahead and put the laws back the way they should be and not have these charlatanes run our system into the ground like they constantly do and then ask us all for a bailout. We spend a lot of time... Absolutamente so. Absolutamente so. Okay. Está bien. Vamos a continuar con el programa. Lee from yesterday. Yes, I think I answered. What do I have here? Egberto, can you put the intro graphic on the screen from this segment? I want to compare 2008 Corporate Finance Institute. Lehman Brothers was forced to file for bankruptcy and accent the company's stock plummeting a final 93% when it was all over. Lehman Brothers, with its $669 billion in debts, was the largest corporate bankruptcy filing. Okay, let's see what you got there. Uh, okay, what do you want me to put on the screen? Uh, let's see. 
Ah, para ver, para ver. All right, I'll get it on the screen for you in a second. Uh, now, okay, there you go. Let's see what, what, what it says here. The beginnings of Lehman Brothers, and let's see. Uh, summary. Lehman Brothers in the mid-1884. The beginnings of Lehman Brothers. Success in the 90s. Okay, there you go. Is there, is anywhere, is there any particular place you want me to scroll to? There you go. From the video you just played a few seconds, it's, it, there was a graphic. Apparently not inside. All right, I can't do that right now in, in real time. I have some other issues that I got to uh, take care of. But anyhow, uh, let's go ahead and do this. Um, you, yep, bring back Glass de Gaulle. You're right about that. Glass de Gaulle is what separated uh, pub, I mean, uh, investment banking from standard banking, okay? I, but he says, Egberto, I think he meant from the video. Oh, I got you. I got you. Yeah, I can't do it right now, but um, I'll, I'll figure that out. Alguna vez más. But anyhow, let's see what else we have here. Let's see what else we have here. Uh, Eric says, SVB had executives on staff from Lehman and no risk officer for months too. Exactly. So uh, so the, the fact that you tried to blame uh, uh, Sister... Uh, Warren, who tried to fix this, I find it ironic. All right, I first came to the U.S. in 1971 and went to an anti-Nixon uh, the first month. Uh, I can't believe we're still fighting the crooked Republicans and filthy banks and corporations. We're still fighting them because they have a lot of money to invest in misinformation and to enchain, uh, to put people's minds in chain. And as you can see, there are quite a few people's minds that are in that are. Uh, enchained by their ideology. We got to stop it, right? We got to stop. We got to find a way to bust it. And I always say a little bit of love plus a little bit of examples can do just that. A little bit of love and a little bit of example. Uh, you know, it's amazing. Well, actually, senor, no, no bank failed under the previous policies. Uh, so no bank, no bank was, nobody lost anything under the previous policies because the previous policies had um, teeth. And you must remember the reason why many people, including Obama, didn't get Elizabeth Warren on that uh, consumer board was because, again, she was too tough. I mean, I know there's a lot of history you don't know. I know there's a lot of history you don't follow. But the worst thing one can do is think that they actually know more than they actually do. You see me do things like ask questions when I'm not sure, or when I'm not sure of something I'm telling you, I let you know it's conjecture or whatever. I think we should all kind of try to practice something like that. Anyway, now you ask about why, and this is from, for Mr. Doe. Mr. Doe said, I came here in 1971 and I can't believe we're still fighting the corporate state and the, the lie, a, a lie, a party that, look, all parties lie. All, you know, all of them lie. But only one party has turned lying into an art. And it started, it didn't start long term. I mean, supply side economics, the biggest, biggest lie ever told. You know, uh, trickle down economics, the biggest piece of fraud ever imposed on the American people. Uh, it is amazing. We tolerate it. it. It has sucked. It has sucked our wealth. And we just think da-da-da-da-da. 
And progressives are there chucking and chucking and chucking all along, slowly being beaten down all along just to try to get things right. The 50 years following the passage of Glass-Steagall Act constituted for by, let's see what that is, Rudnin, if I can, thank you for that. Uh, check that out that Rudnin just put out there. But anyhow, let's show you how, uh, what Fox News and the Republican Party has become. And this is through two good, reputable guys. Check this out. MSNBC host Jason Johnson and Media Matters uh, CEO hit the nail on the head. They describe exactly what Fox News is. It's not a news channel. And also ascribe what they needed to ascribe to the audience and what the audience wants at Fox News. Check this out. We'll take it on the other side. Why are Fox audiences not upset about the fact that they have been lied to and led into a failed insurrection? Well, a big part of that is that the ends justify the means. You know, they sort of know what the goal is. Uh, and so right. sometimes you have to lie and fib. And that's why the power part of this conversation is very important. Why their audience doesn't backlash against them when they're being derided or that the things are being that the, their hosts are admitting that they're lies is because they all know that the lies are done to serve a larger objective. Fox News lied not just to, you know, appease its audience, but because they were helping build the scaffolding for January 6th for an attack on our democracy. Uh, and I mean, they all understood that that was a part of it. That's why their audience was backlashing because they expected Fox News to push the things that were otherwise percolating in the fringes that hadn't been sort of laundered through these few gatekeepers. And that's why I think it matters who goes on and who validates Fox News. We're not having debates about why people aren't going on Alex Jones to reach different audiences, right? At some point, because of what has been exposed here, it's such clear example. I think everyone needs to change their behavior around Fox because they're no longer masquerading as a news operation. They're a, a destructive, dangerous political operation. And that's the part where I think we all have to act accordingly. Start treating it like Infowars and a lot less like we had been treating Fox News before we saw the recent revelations. I've been saying the same thing about the Republican Party. They are no longer a party. They are a dime storefront for a terrorist organization called MAGA. Angela Carasoni, thank you so much for joining thank us you. this evening on All In. So there you go. Let's remember what Fox News is as well as what the Republican Party has become. Now, there's no doubt based on what we have here. We, all right, and here's what's important, folks. Rudnan asks a very important question. He says, what the hell is the goal with the right-wing bubble? I, I'm going to tie in things that we've covered here on, on Politics Done Right, and this is important. I really need you to follow me. I really need you to follow me. Uh, several months ago, I brought on economist Richard Wolf, uh, Ernst Universe. I mean, uh, he, he explained in detail how economic systems, they're born, they grow, they live, and then they die. He spoke about feudalism. He spoke about all the other types of uh, slavery which is, was a, is, a, is a, a, a former state of capitalism. And then he spoke about our current form of capitalism. And he points out, he pointed out that capitalism, based on where we are, based on how it has capitalized itself, and where we are on the charts with how much more can be produced, etc., we are on maybe starting to decline. I brought on 
David Cobb a few days ago. And David Cobb is working in some organizations where they're preparing how do we support and protect people given that we already see that we are at this divergence or convergence rather of all these different bad things created by our economic system. The climate issues, the the justice issues, right? And, And all these other bad things the economic system does, all right? Or do. So, uh, Richard Wolff talks about the state of this economic system based on how other economic systems have thrived and eventually died. David Cobb identifies that we are in end-state capitalism. I think with several of my programs, I've shown that capitalism for this current state to exist, the only way those on top right now that that are filthy wealthy and that they just cannot see the reality that that's not how things should work. The only way they can survive, the only way they can maintain the status quo is to keep the masses from seeing the fraud. It's the masses must not understand the capitalist fraud, right? You can't. Because you are going to start asking your questions like this. Why is it that the president, uh, even as the bank, the Silicon Valley Bank fails, why does that president still qualify for bonuses? Why does that president in the previous years when that, that bank was in the state of failing, because the failure didn't occur overnight, that he was still collecting a $9 million salary? You'll ask yourself the question, why is it that at Ford... All these peons build the cars, they may get $60,000, $80,000, but the guy who owns the stock, who sit down at his pool, makes a huge profit from his dividends and capitalization of the stocks. Why is it that I am doing all the work and you are getting all the profits from the work that I do? It's the system. It's nothing wrong that these people are doing, but it is the system. And if you realize that it is no different than some new form of what I call antiseptic slavery, when that notion gets to everybody and people start to ask, why am I only getting this percentage of the spoils? Why is it that the corporate executives, why is it that the the particular salesperson makes the money? And those of us with the intellect to develop all these different things, we are not the one maximizing the profits from our intellect, our worth, and our work. People are going to, if people get intelligent, they see that. That's the reason why we can't teach uh, critical thinking. That is the reason why... In school, we can't teach civics because if civics is learned, you realize that you do have an input in government, that government isn't this other thing trying to do you harm. Government is you. And what they've successfully done with the Powell Memo, another thing we've discussed on this show, is they have separated you from your government. When you hear anybody says government is bad, when you heard Ronald Reagan say uh, government is not the solution, government is the problem. All these were 
keywords. All these were subliminal messages to get into your head so that you would look at government as some external thing you have no control over. But if you were taking civics in school, if you were taking critical thinking in school, then you would know that government is as good as you make it to be. Government is as bad as you allow it to be. It's our responsibility all to make government function, to make government work. So all these things, Michael Rudnan, this is basal to your question. What the hell is the goal with the right-wing bubble? The goal is to maintain confusion. Naturally speaking, there are some of us who are always willing. Oh, oh, thank you for that, Bridge. I got two more videos to show and I still have, yeah, I have enough time. So what, what we have is if we learn, the, if we start to promote these concepts and we stop allowing these externalities to, to come to fruition, we'll make a difference. But we've got to start. Anyway, let's see how this works. Now, former conservative, well, I'll just play the video because you're going to like this one as well. You know, there are many conservatives who are lamenting what has occurred to the conservative or, or to the Republican Party, which used to be a genuinely conservative party. And as much as I'm not a conservative, at least it had a pushback to the things that I believe in to force me to hone in on an idea, to force me to make sure my idea was crisp. Sometimes they made it better. They made the ideas better because of having to challenge those different things. I love conservatives for doing that to my progressivi progressivity. The MAGA crowd has gone crazy. CPAC is a nut job. I want you to listen to what this conservative here has to say, and then we'll take it on El Otro Lado. When you think of the George Santoses and obviously Donald Trump with his ties and his vodka and his steaks and even Alex Jones with his vitamins or whatever he sells, the conservative movement in the year 2023 it, it does feel like an infomercial. And I wonder how much you think the big con, the grift, is central to the party's identity at this point. What's happened is Trump is shrinking in the party and CPAC is shrinking. Uh, but it is, it, it is kind of the professional grassroots huckster wing of the GOP. So the good news is it, it's, it's, it's an outlier. It's not the sampling it used to be. Hell, when I, I was chairman of the College Republicans at Georgetown a million years ago, right after Reagan got elected, we'd go there and it was the best party in town. And it reflected the young energy inside the Republican Party. This thing now is a scam. Walk me through how that fits, though, in the ecosystem of the present-day GOP. There's a, there's a competing confab, the club, the club for Growth conference, where I think Ron DeSantis, and Mike Pence right. and Nikki Haley, they're all speaking. That's kind of like the legit conference. Uh, but when you talk about the energy and enthusiasm, yeah. I mean, CPAC may be a clown show that is offering, you know, $9.99 gold coins or whatever. But at the same time, there it, it does represent some certain part of the GOP, does it not? I mean, it does, does it not represent the most animated part of the base <laughs> that is therefore essential to those who would like to keep power over at Club for Growth? Well, it, it's a 
sliver. What it is is a grassroots party, uh, the hoot and holler, uh, but it's what I call the hobbyist wing of the right wing. The the club for growth thing is a donor club. That is that that is a meeting of people who can write a hundred thousand, five hundred thousand dollar checks to your super PAC. So the candidates will break down the door to get in there and kind of do their ten minutes. They're scoping for significant donors or bundlers. The CPAC thing, CPAC now is like the 25 Japanese troops in a cave somewhere in 1953 waiting for the emperor to tell them to attack. They're, not, they're, a, they're a subsliver. Now, they, they vote in primaries. I won't zero them out completely. But if you look at a scientific poll of Republican voters and you poll, the, if you can get the aluminum foil hats long enough to get their attention and poll the people running up and down the hallways hawking this stuff at CPAC, you know, there's not a lot of correlation. It is a symptom of the weakness of the Trump thing, not the strength that he owns this shrinking island. What you think the ideological center yeah. of the Republican Party is at this point? Because when I think of Club for Growth, I'm thinking these are the moneyed Republican elites who really care about low taxes. And when I think about the uh, political figures who speak at CPAC, it's kind of the grifter class. But money is the central thing that ties it all together. It used to always amuse me as a regular Republican that the grassroots would rant about the establishment. You know, many people like me, but the the anti-establishment has its own establishment and their trade show is CPAC. Um, as far as the party, it's got a lot of factions. Right now, the biggest war is between kind of the populists and there are rich populists who love to write super PAC checks uh, all the way down to grassroots, really grievance populists who are worried about space lasers and think Marjorie Taylor Greene ought to be empress, all the way over to kind of more thoughtful populists. Then you got the old Burke conservatives like me, which were kind of the dominant conservative faction in the original you know, not completely crazy Republican Party. And there's a struggle. Trump is the poster child of the grievance populace. And that's where the fault lines are now. Some of the money is with him. Most of the money is God. We're tired of losing. We're tired of crazy. Uh, this guy's a problem. Can we get back to free enterprise, strong defense, the basic Republican building blocks? But they don't control the party now. It's a, the primary is going to sort this fight out between all the warring factions. And unfortunately, I see MAGA continuing to be the dominant portion of the Republican Party. I, I thought I was wrong. I thought by now more sensible people would at least convince some of the less sensible people to get off. But I guess I was would not. I guess I simply was damn wrong. We, we, I simply was damn wrong. Michael says... The right-wing bubble has convinced conservatives that lowering taxes on the rich will lead to a balanced budget, which is an insanity. The only way they can make that happen is by going full evil, cutting what they call entitlements, social safety net programs, and cru crushing the poor. Anti-populism run rampant through this horrible ideology. What's so funny is that Republicans are more dependent on social programs than Democrats. You see, it's interesting, right? Because they play the race card when they're showing things like food stamps and all these other benefits, right? But there are, but you know, people, minorities in the in the country represent a minority. That's why they're minorities, right? The largest population of recep receiving food stamps, receiving all these other types of welfare programs, are people out there in Appalachia. 
But Appalachia doesn't have the TV cameras in their face, faces like we do in the major cities, New York, Houston, Miami, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Portland, etc. But ironically, sometimes I want if if I weren't the if I wasn't this humanist, right? I would say just let's do the experiment. I remember when Bush was running, I said, give them everything that they are asking for. Give them everything. Let them cut whatever they want to cut. Because the pitchforks would come out on them. Because it's their people. The people that are running around with those Trump flags on those pickup trucks, many of them with, with no teeth, etc. That's their supporters. That's the guy who, who those, those are the folks who believe Trump is king. Those are the guys who believe conservatism is for them. They don't understand that it's a progressive policies that's saving them. And as, as, as the other side screams about how we spend too much or whatever... We're spending it on them. It's amazing, isn't it? It's simply amazing. Anyhow, I have one last video. Ed Markey put the president, the CEO of uh, Norfolk Southern in his place. The CEO of Norfolk Southern went to Congress. He, you know, he had to go to the hearings and Ed Markey, Senator Ed Markey, asked a simple question. Are you going, and I, I'm paraphrasing here, are you going to make the people, the good people in East Palestine whole? And the CEO refused to answer the question, which doesn't speak well for the people in East Palestine, unless they, they change from their ways of electing right-wing conservatives who continuously vote against them, including voting to allow uh, Norfolk Southern to have bad, bad policy, layoff workers, and cause the derailment that we had there. Are they going to stop electing that kind of folk? We'll see. But check out what this CEO had to say about making East Palestine whole should be ashamed of himself. The rail industry in general that has reduced its workforce by one third over the last 10 years. <clears throat> and in that reduction in workforce, there is a reduction in the measure of safety that has to be built in in order to guarantee that people avoid these kinds of catastrophes. So let me ask you, um, Mr. Shaw, about a decision that your company has made. You, you've chosen an arbitrary one mile radius from the disaster site for people to qualify for assistance, meaning some families who breathe the same air, drink the same water, aren't getting the same help. Mr. Shaw, will you commit to providing financial compensation to all affected people, including those who live outside your arbitrarily chosen one-mile radius around the derailment site? Senator, we've made our Family Assistance Center and payments available to folks 
within the zip code, within Darlington Township. We've committed. Will you commit to helping those people outside of the one mile radius? That's my question. Yes or no? Sir, we already are. You already are? Yes, sir. All right. Well, that's not uh, clear. Uh, uh, Will you commit to compensating effective homeowners or their diminished property values? Senator, pardon me, Senator, I'm committing to do what's right. Well, what's right is a family that had a home worth $100,000 that is now worth $50,000 will probably never be able to sell that home for $100,000 again. Will you compensate that family for that loss? Senator, I'm committing to do what's right. That is the right thing to do. These are the people who are innocent victims, Mr. Shaw. These people were just there at home, and all of a sudden, their small businesses, their homes are forever going to have been diminished in value. Norfolk Southern owes these people. It's an accident that is basically under the responsibility of Norfolk Southern, not these families. When you say do the right thing, will you again compensate these families for their diminished lost property value for homes and small businesses? Senator, we've already committed $21 million and that's a down payment. That is a down payment. Will you commit to ensuring that these families, these innocent families do not lose their life savings in their homes? And small businesses. The right thing to do is to say, yes, we will. Senator, I'm committed to doing what's right for the community and we're going to be there. As no, what, what's right for the community will then be balanced, which is what we can see from your stock buybacks by what's right for Norfolk Southern. And that's going to be to sue, to fight, to resist full compensation for these families. That's the pattern we've seen over the last 10 years and your one-third reduction in workforce with its natural um, concomitant reduction in safety. Uh, We're not hearing the right things today. These families want to know long-term, are they just going to be left behind? Once this, once the cameras move on, once uh, the, the, the national attention uh, dies down, you know, where will these families be? I think they're going to be in the crosshairs of the accountants of Norfolk Southern saying, we're not going to pay full compensation. That's why we're going to stay on this case until everyone in East Palestine is given the justice which they deserve. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to until we give them the justice they deserve. Now, you see how these corporations work. They take PPP money, they, they, they just pocket it and expand their, their, their base in some form instead of really getting it to the people. Now, they go ahead and they pollute. These people were living their lives in East Palestine. They were living their lives. They weren't bothering anybody. And a train comes in with their bad maintenance record and they dump a lot of crap in the soil, in the water, in the air. And when it's time to make things hold, you know, they are always talking about, we don't want regulations. 
I mean, if you, if you get regulations and because of the regulations you get, you, you still commit, you know, things happen. Then you can say, oh, well, it was the regulations fault and we need some compensation from the government because you gave a regulation that wasn't, working. but these guys are saying, we don't want no damn regulations. We don't want it. And then when these things occur, they try to get out of it and they refuse to say, we are going to clean up the mess we created. Like I said in an, in, a, in an interview several weeks ago, uh, you know what they're hoping for. They're hoping that ultimately speaking, our government, the United States of America, will be left holding the bag to do all this cleanup. They should be ashamed of themselves. We spend a lot of time They should be ashamed of themselves. Anyhow, let's see where we're at. We're at 56, almost time for us to call it a day. Let's see what else you guys have here. Lee Grant, why do you think that rear home invasion happens? Why do you think robberies happen? I'd wager that the desperation that comes from poverty is the least and cause of all of that. Of course it is. I mean, it's, there's no doubt these are, these are all proven things. Uh, Mr. Doe says a couple of the poorest countries in the U.S. are poorest counties in the U.S. are in Kentucky. They mostly live off Democrat programs. Let's use Democratic. Don't fall into their uh, their their grammar problems. Democratic programs, but all, almost 100 percent vote Republican. How to open these minds? You just have to live among them. You have you see. What we do too often is that guy is MAGA. He's my enemy. I leave him alone. I don't care to be around him. He's just a nutcase, a nutball. I'm not going to mess with him. That's not how I see things. Personally, I see a MAGA for a person. I see a friend. And I, I, I really mean that. And I go and I entertain a conversation and we go back and forth and back and forth and talk and talk and talk. I want them to like me. I really want them to like me because if they like me, Eventually, I can get to them. You know, if they're constantly coming to me. And I can tell you again from experience. That's why I wrote the book. How to talk to your right-wing relative, friends, and neighbors. It's worth it. It's worth it. How to talk to your right-wing relatives, friends, and neighbors. So anybody listening to the podcast, check out the book. It's worth it. How to talk to your right-wing relatives, friends, and neighbors by Berto Willis. Yours truly. Um... You know, uh, I'm telling you, we have to look at others, not as our enemies. We have to look at the ill-informed, the misinformed, the disinformed, not as somebody we just want to hate, slap, or whatever. We look at them as our brothers, man, our sisters, man. And when they're lashing out, remember, who lashes out? That one who doesn't have the answers. Paul Fleming says, regulations for the most part keep evil doings out of our lives. And you, you hit the nail on the head, sir. Uh, let's see. Uh, Michael Rodney says, Mr. Do, banana republic policies screw the poor. That said, yes, Democrats need to reach out to the poor communities and promise infrastructure investments. And take those kids in the summer. A lot of them don't have anything to do, whether it's in the ghettos, the barrios, or Appalachia. Get involved. Get over there. Create programs. Let people see you. But you see, the Democratic Party as well, the upper echelon is governed by, I'm going to say the word, elitists as well. And they don't have a clue 
what the common person looks like either. They don't have a clue. They stay in these towers and they come across with calculated mathematical formulas that really, you know, would make things better, it does. But we need a lot more. To Egberto and the PTR Posse, I say happy trails to you. I guess Brother Cox is leaving. Anyhow, please support the program. How can you support the program? Go to politicsdoneright.com slash support. Politicsdoneright.com slash support is the all-encompassing way for you to support us. We need patrons. We need YouTube followers. We need Twitter. All, all the methods of support can be found in that link. I ask you so kindly to choose one, whichever one you can find to support us and uh, we'll keep doing what we do. I process eight videos this morning and I have quite a few more to process today. So I think you guys are going to like all the work coming, uh, coming in the very near future. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Unright. And you guys know how I end this baby. I am what? We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.